right, we're ready for the jury. Oh, yes, Your Honor. State's ready. Mr. Fox? Yes, sir, Your Honor. All right, let's have the jury. Good morning, members of the jury. Council ready to proceed? State's ready. All right, you call your next witness. State to call Joe Portier to the stand. Mr. Portier, before you sit down, can you just remain standing and raise your right hand, please, sir? Do you swear or affirm the testimony before this jury with truth, whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I do. Have a seat for me, please, sir. Get you to introduce yourself to the jury for me. Pardon? Can I get you to introduce yourself to the jury for me? Okay, I'm Joe Portier. And can you spell that last name? P-O-R-T-I-E-R. Mr. Portier, um, in what town do you live? Osceola. How long have you lived in Osceola? All my life. Um, and with a lady, I'm not supposed to ask this, but I'm going to ask you, how old are you, Mr. Portier? I'm 76. <clears throat> now, Mr. Portier, um, what kind of work do you do? I'm with a local CPA firm. Been there 56 years. And do you still actively work? Every day. And in fact, is this your busy season? It is. Okay. Now, Mr. Portier, I'm going to uh, direct your attention back to 2005. Where were you living in 2005? Uh, 304 Park Street. Okay. Um, did you know someone by the name of Tara Faye Grinstead? I did. And how did you know Tara? She was my next door neighbor. Um, anyone else live in the house with you back in 2005? In my house? Yes, sir. Uh, me and my wife. What's your wife's name? Myrtle. Now, um, how long did Tara live beside you and Miss Myrtle? Probably three or four years. During those three or four years, did you get to know Tara well? I did. Tell us about your relationship and Miss Myrtle's relationship with Tara during that time period that she lived next door to you, please. She'd become about like our daughter. We saw her every day, uh, in and out of our house. Uh, just, you know, good neighbors. What kind of work did Tara do? Teacher. And do you know how long she had been teaching before she went missing? I don't. Uh, do you know what grade she taught, high school, middle school, elementary, do you know? High, high school history, I think. <clears throat> Now, I want to specifically direct your attention to October of 2005, um, the weekend that you last saw Tara. Um, on that Saturday, was there anything special going on for Osceola and Fitzgerald? Uh, the beauty contest. And which beauty contest was that? The one in Fitzgerald. I don't think it was the uh, sweet potato. I think it was just a beauty contest. Okay. Um, was Tara one who would help out with beauty contests? Oh, yeah. She'd fix numerous girls' hair and makeup. <clears throat> now, that particular day, do you know, did Tara fix anybody's hair or makeup that was related to you? My granddaughter. And how old was your granddaughter at the time? Eight. <clears throat> um, was she going to be in that beauty pageant as well? Yes. What was your granddaughter's name? Or what is your granddaughter's name? Mary Beth. Mary Beth. Um, at any point on that Saturday, were you at Tara Grinstead's home? I did. Uh, me and my son was building uh, deer stands out at the farm. And when I come in for lunch, my wife told me that Tara wanted me to come over and see Mary Beth's hair and makeup that she had fixed. Yes, sir. What did you think about the hair and makeup? I told Tara I didn't like it. Why was that? Because it made her look too old. <laughs> she was more or less a child. But after the makeup, you know, she looked like an 18-year-old. Um, after you saw Mary Beth and her makeup, what did you do next? Went back to the farm building deer stands. When was the next time you saw Tara? I didn't. <clears throat> now, that Saturday night... Um, did you ever see Tara come home? I did not. Was that unusual that you might not know when Tara got home? Not really. If she was in town, uh, we didn't worry about it much. 
Now, when she was out of town, she was traveling, was there sort of a signal she had to let y'all know when she was home and safe? She turned on the lamp in her bedroom. On Saturday evening, did you ever see that lamp come on? I didn't look for it, really, because she was in, you know, in, in town. What about on Sunday? Did you ever see that lamp come on? No. At some point, um, did you receive a phone call from someone who was also looking for Tara? Yeah, Tara's mother called me uh, uh, Sunday, wanted to know had we seen Tara, which we hadn't, and that, that wasn't unusual. That okay. We wouldn't see her all weekend, you know. Now, Tara's mother, what was her name? Do you know? I don't forget. It's okay. Uh, is she still living? No, she, she's deceased. Now, um, when, the mo- when her mother called and asked you if you had seen Tara, do you remember what time of day or night it was on Sunday? It would probably be like 7 o'clock at night. Did you do anything in response to uh, her mother calling? I did not. <clears throat> um, and I don't think I asked this already, but did you ever see Tara herself on that Sunday? No. <clears throat> so, going into Monday morning, what was the first indication you had Monday morning that something was wrong? The uh, policeman from Perry called me. wanted to know would I go there and, and check on Tara that he had came down that night beat on the door and beat on the window and couldn't get her to come to the door or the window and wanted to know would I go over there and check on her. Okay. Now this person that you've described as the policeman from Perry, had you ever met him before? I have not. Did you know of him? I knew of him. And um, do you know if he had ever been to Tara's home before? Yes. When he called you and asked you to check on Tara, why is it that he would have called you instead of somebody else to check on Tara? I guess he knew it was next door neighbors and had a key to her house. Why did you have a key to Tara's home? She had given my wife a key uh, a couple of years earlier so that uh, I think she went off one time and thought she had left her candles burning and wanted to go over there and put them out. Yes, sir. And then we'd go over there and check on the cat. That's going to be my next question. Did Tara have any animals back in 2005? Had a dog and a cat. Um, when she was out of town, was it unusual that y'all would take care of those animals? Usually we would. Um, when that policeman from Perry called you, did you go over to Tara's house and check on her at that time? I didn't. I told him I would have to check at the school to make sure that she wasn't there or, you know, I wasn't just going to bust in her house and invade her privacy. Yes, sir. So I turned around and called uh, Bobby Connor, who was the principal, on yes, his sir. cell phone. And he was in Atlanta, but he got in touch with someone, and they checked on her class, and she wasn't there. After learning that now her mother and the policeman from Perry had, could not make contact with her, and she wasn't at school, what did you do? I called my wife, who was working at the hospital nursing home at the time, because she knew what the key was, and told her to come and meet me at Tara's house that something was wrong. Did you speak with anyone else before going to Tara's house that morning? I don't think so. I might have spoke with Larry and Dina Harper. Now, who are Larry and Dina Harper? That was Marcus's uh, daddy. And when you say Marcus, for Marcus those who Harper. may not be familiar, who, what's Marcus's last name? Harper. And what was his connection or their connection to Tara? He was a former boyfriend. Marcus. Marcus was. And then you said Larry and Dina were who to Marcus? Larry was Marcus's daddy. Um, did Larry and Dina Harper show up at Tara's residence that, that morning? They did. And um, at some point, did you or anybody else in that group go into Tara's home? Yeah, as soon as my wife got there with the key, we, we went in and searched the house over. Okay. Um, was Tara home? No. Did you find any indication um, as to where Tara might be when you got into her home? No. When you first went into the home, was there anything unusual to you about the residence at that point? Well, about 30 girls coming in and out of her house that Saturday. There was clothes and jewelry. Uh, 
laying around, throwing around. Other than that, anything else catch your attention at the home? No. At that point, anything that you could see that showed any sort of a struggle? No. Now, what about in the yard? Did you notice anything in the yard that caught your attention? Yeah, uh, after searching the house, I went out on the front porch and called Billy Hancock on his cell phone. Uh, I had his cell number because I was on the city council. And yes, sir. Anyway, I, that's when I noticed the glove laying out in the yard. Now, who is Billy Hancock? The chief of police of South Georgia. And did um, Billy Hancock, the chief, wind up responding that day to Tara's home? Yeah, they come right on. Now, you said you noticed the glove. Tell us what you mean by that. Where was the glove? Probably about five foot off of her front porch. opposing counsels to Martin State's exhibits one and two for purposes of this trial. May I approach the witness, Judge? You may. Mr. Portier, I'm going to show you first what's been Martin State's exhibit one and ask you if you recognize that. You can wear your glasses if you need to. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, how do you recognize states one? How do I recognize it? Yes, sir. Well, it was Tara's front yard. Okay. And does that appear to be a true and accurate depiction of Tara's front yard as it appeared that morning, that Monday morning when you went there? Yes. And then I'm going to show you what's the Martin State's Exhibit 2 and ask you if you recognize that. Yes. How do you recognize that? That was a glove I saw that I pointed out to uh, Chief Hancock. Is that a true and accurate depiction of what that glove looked like in the yard that Monday morning? Yes. Um, as to States 1 and States 2, again, are they true and accurate depictions of what you saw that Monday morning? Yes. Yes. Any changes, deletions, subtractions, anything of that nature from what you saw then? No. Uh -huh. This time I will tender and add the state's exhibits one and two. Any objection? No objection, Your Honor. All right, they're admitted. And may I publish those for jury? You may. <coughs> now, Mr. Portier, when you went into Tara's home that morning, um, did you disturb anything in her home? Did you touch anything other than just going in and looking for her? I'm sure we did. Uh, we, you know, we were looking under the beds and closets and, you know, just plundering, really. Uh, yes, sir. Somebody wanted to know, reckon she just packed her bags and left. And, of course, I looked in the closet and I told them, you know, I wouldn't know if my wife had packed a bag and left unless she <laughs> took everything she had. <laughs> Um, but we, you know, we was really uh, trying to find uh, extra set of keys to the car so we could look in the trunk. Yes, sir. Uh, At that point, did you have any idea what had happened to Tara? No. Uh, Showing opposing counsels and pre market states exhibits four, five, and six. May I approach the witness, Judge? You may. Mr. Portier, I'm going to show you first what's in Martin State's Exhibit 3 and ask you if you recognize States 3. I do. Uh, how do you recognize States 3? <clears throat> I, got a, I got the same picture. You do have the same picture? And is that a true and accurate depiction of what Tara Grinstead looked like the last time you saw her in 2005? Yes. States Exhibit 4, do you recognize that? Yes. And how do you recognize State's Exhibit 4? I think I have a copy of that picture. Is that a true and accurate depiction of what Tara Grinstead looked like the last time you saw her in 2005? Yes. State's Exhibit 5, do you recognize that? Yes. And how do you recognize State's 5? That's Tara. Is that a true and accurate depiction of what Tara looked like the last time you saw her in 2005? Yes. And then finally, state six. Do you recognize state six? Yes. And how do you recognize state six? I think that's a picture they had on her, the, the missing person. 
Is that also a true and accurate depiction of what Tara looked like in 2005, the last yes. time you saw her? Yes. All right, this time I would tender to evidence states 3, 4, 5, and 6. No objection. All right, they're admitted. May I publish at least some of those to the jury judge? You may. I'm going to attempt to use the system over here. I understand you have to turn it off for me, though. upside down over here. You can see it on your screen now? I can see it on mine. I don't know what it is. It's not showing. Just kick lines. Yeah, I've hit it sometimes and just nothing. That's not the word I can just have to do. Nope. You mind or you don't mind? No, I don't mind. Come on up. I just. Yeah, you, you did. Yeah, you had it. I should move on, but we'll figure that out later. All that fancy technology never seems to work when I need it anyway. May I publish? Yeah. I'm sorry, Judge. May I publish takes three, four, five, and six to the jury? You may. Thank you, Judge. Mr. Portier, the residence where Tara Grinstead lived in 2005 next door to you, what county was that in? Irwin. And from that Saturday when you went over and saw her um, after she had helped fix up your granddaughter Mary Beth, um, have you ever seen Tara Grinstead again? No. I don't have any further questions for this witness, Judge. Mr. Fox. Morning. Do you know or have you ever met Mr. Bo Dukes? Pardon? Do you know or have you ever met Mr. Bo Dukes? I knew of him because he's played football for over in the county high, and I'm okay. a big fan. Okay. Other than him having played football, did you two ever meet, talk, or anything like that? All right. Just, I just knew of him. All right. Thank you, sir. Anything from? No, sir. All right. You step down. Can I go home? He can't be excused. No, you're not. You know, That's okay. You're excused. Mr. Portier. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Portier. You call your next witness. Uh, the state calls John McCulloch. Okay. You raise your right hand. Do you solemnly swear or affirm the testimony you're about to give before the court in this case to be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God? Yes, sir. Okay. Get your hand down. Have a seat. Oh, yes, sir. Microphone, <coughs> If you will, introduce yourself to the jury, please. Oh, yes, I'm John McCullough from uh, Spring, Texas. All right, if you'll spell your first and your last name for the court. Uh, John, J-O-H-N, last name McCullough, M-C-C-U-L-L-O-U-G-H. Now, Mr. McCullough, you just told us you were from Spring, Texas. Uh, where is Spring, Texas? Uh, it's probably about uh, 15 miles north of Houston. Uh, now, uh, Mr. McCullough, I want to direct your attention to a person by the name of Bo Duke. Do you know a person by the name of Bo Duke? Yes, sir. And how do you know a person by the name of Bo Dukes? Uh, I was actually at Fort, uh, Fort Sill, Oklahoma, at uh, Charlie 119, um, in which I attended basic training there and uh, began in November of uh, 2006. All right. And when you were there at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, for basic training, uh, is that when you met Bo Dukes? Yes, sir. All right. And the person you know is Bo Dukes, is he in the courtroom? Uh, yes, sir. Okay, can you tell me what he's wearing, please, sir? Uh, yes, sir. He's wearing a jacket with a tie with a comb-over little hairdo. All right. Now, Mr. McCulloch, when you met uh, Bo Dukes there at, at basic training, what, what, about what time was this? What year and month, if you can recall? Uh, like I said, it is uh, about November of 06. Um, now, how long, how long does basic training last? Uh, it's normally nine weeks, but because of how it fell whenever we attended, it was actually a two-week Christmas exodus break in between, so totaling about 11 weeks. And 
you when you talk about a Christmas break, what did you do for that Christmas break in November of, of 2006? Uh, well, I first initially had planned to go home to see my family because I'm pretty close with my family and stuff like that. But, um, you know, he had mentioned something about, hey, man, you know, it would be cool. You can come back to Georgia, you know, and we can hang out and stuff like that if you really don't have too much going on. Uh, in Texas, and I was like, "Oh man, you know, I've never been to Georgia, so I was like, okay, that's cool. I, I, I'd go, you know." Something I failed to ask you, Mr. McCullough, are you, are you currently employed? Yes, sir. And how are you employed? Uh, I am the fleet manager at Hayes Utilities South. It's a water district company in Spring. And how long have you been employed there? Uh, almost one year. Uh, yeah, close to one year. It'll be one year, April second. Uh, but previous to that, I've been a mechanic or a fleet mechanic at several shops. Uh, now, again, you decided to go home with, with Bo Dukes for uh, Christmas break uh, from basic training. How did you get to Georgia? A uh, bus. It was a Greyhound bus. And when you got to uh, Georgia, do you know what town you, when you came to? Uh, Osceola. And when was it that you saw Bo Dukes? Uh, well, whenever I initially got to town, he had already been in town already uh, because he had chose to fly. And um, his mother actually picked me up from the bus stop. Now, when his mother picked you up from the bus stop, where did you go? Uh, I believe I went to uh, her house. Now, when you got to her house, do you know where her house was? Uh, no, sir. Not, I wasn't really too familiar with the area uh, and stuff like that, so I couldn't tell you exactly where it is. Um, but I, I do remember going to, to her house. And, Mr. McCullough, when you arrived there at her house, was, was Mr. Dukes there? Uh, yes, sir. All right. And tell me um, how you spent the weekend. Um, well, you know, just break, obviously we're, we're on break. You know, we're in the military, so it's very strict. You know, you can't drink alcohol. You can't, you know, actually do anything, quote, unquote, fun. <laughs> so, you know, um, you know, we hung out and stuff like that. And then uh, they had said um, initially, oh, well, hey, we got tickets to go to a um, – uh, Georgia versus Virginia Tech game, but you know that was later on in the time that we were going to be there. I believe the game was going to be on January third, but uh, you know we had gone out several times to just minor little small places around town, and you know just to hang out. You know nothing too crazy. Now during the course of, of that uh, time that you were uh, in <coughs> Georgia for that break, um, did Mr. Uh, Dukes make some statements to you? Uh, yes, sir. Right. Tell me how it was that these statements came up. Um, well, it was, you know, pretty late at night, and, um, you know, he had been drinking and uh, also used some substances uh, in the sense of cocaine. Um, and I was driving, which I'm very adamant about, you know, not drinking and driving and, you know, doing stuff like that. And I didn't want him to drive, even though it was his mom's car. It was a little black uh three series BMW um, in which, you know, we had stopped because he had needed to drink, stopped at a convenience store, parked in the parking lot. And uh, when I actually went in alone, got some drinks, came back outside and, you know, we're just sitting there and, you know, like I had said, it's pretty late. Um, so we're sitting there and he, you know, seemed like something was bothering him possibly. Uh, and he just, you know, started to come out and say, Hey, you know, you're my battle, right? You're, you're my battle buddy, right? And I was like, yeah, man. You what know. Is, when you say battle buddy, what, what did you understand that to mean? Uh, well, whenever it was explained to us, whenever, you know, any, I guess, wartime situation or battle situation, that you always have that buddy with you so you know you're not alone, so somebody can always watch your back. You know, when he referred to you as his battle buddy, what, what did he tell you? Uh he, well, he had just asked if I was his battle, and I said, yeah. And he was like, well, man, he was like, you know, I need to tell you something. And that's whenever I was pretty much shocked to, to the extreme, and it, it messed with me pretty good. And what was it that shocked you? Uh, the fact of I had made comments previous uh, in the day to whenever we were riding through town because, you know, I've never been to Georgia, so we rode around uh, Osceola, Rochelle, Fitzgerald, you know, just – Oh, man, yeah, you know, look at this, you know, and basically taking me around and showing me around town. And uh, I had mentioned something about seeing a, a billboard, and it had a really, really pretty lady that was on it. And I was like, man, that's crazy, you know, what, what's going on with that, you know? And that was, like I said, the previous conversation we had. But he had brought it up and said, do you remember that billboard that you had seen? 
And I was like, yeah. And he was like, I know what happened. And then I was like kind of shocked with that and was like, what? Did he tell you what happened? Uh, to an extent, yes, sir. Okay. And tell me what he told you. <clears throat> he had started to say, um, like I said, I know what happened. Uh, I was there. And he had said that my friend had came to me and said that, uh, am I allowed to have open language in here? You use the language that he told you. Yes. Okay. Um, and he said that his friend had showed up and said, man, I fucked up. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, he continued to tell me that he had, you know, messed up and uh, he needed his help. He needed his truck. His friend needed Bo's help. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay. And he had said that um, he had needed his help um, because he said that, you know, like I had mentioned, that he had fucked up. Um, and whenever he continued to explain of the situation, you know, I I wanted to stop in disbelief because it's, you know, it's it's a severe thing, man, you know, for somebody to be able to do, you know, do stuff like that. But um, he had said... Uh, that he had technically killed Tara to him. Um, the friend had said that. Yes, that he had um, beat her and uh, accidentally strangled her um, and killed her, and he didn't know what to do. So he needed his truck to be able to move her body. And did Bodux tell you if he loaned his truck to his friend? He said um, that he had went with his friend and used the truck, which was the white Ford F-150. That was manual transmission, and I know that truck because I actually drove that truck while I was in Osceola, which makes it even weirder for me. Um, and did he tell you once he had gone with, with Mr. Bo Dukes, had gone with his friend uh, to, to help him, where they went? Um, he in a sense, didn't disclose the exact location of where they went to pick up the body in, in, in his head, but he had said that they had went and recovered the body, and they continued to take it to the middle of uh, his grandpa's or the Hudson Pecan Orchard. Uh, and the exact location didn't tell me, but had made the comment of, you know, we took her to the middle of the Pecan Orchard, and burned her body. And if I can roll back a little bit, whenever I was in basic training, he had made the comment, which now it made sense of the sense of, hey man, it takes more than 1,200 degrees to burn human bones. When he was telling you that they burned the body there in the Conwood, did you remember that statement that he had made to you previously? Yes, sir. How many times did he make that statement to you? Uh, two that I recall previous. Um, when he said that they burned her body in the pecan orchard, did, did, was this with Bo Dukes and his buddy? Yes, sir. And did he tell you um, how long they burned her body? Uh, no, sir. He didn't disclose that, no. And did he tell you anything else uh, about that? Uh, just the sense that they burned her body and let it burn as long as they could, and whenever they were satisfied, they buried the rest. And did he tell you how they, they buried the rest? Uh, no, sir. Did you ever go to the pecan orchard while you were here? Uh, I'd never actually got out and walked around the pecan orchard, but we did drive past a section. I'm not exactly sure um, what little town it was, but he was like, do you see all that over there? Um, that's part of the pecan orchard. Now, uh, Mr. McCulloch, um, how did you react to what your your battle buddy had, had told you? Uh, it messed me up pretty good. What do you mean it messed you um, up? It was just tough to deal with that. As a result of that, did you call law enforcement <clears throat> immediately? Uh, no, sir. I actually waited until I was away from Fort Sill in Oklahoma. And whenever I got to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, uh, for my AIT school for 88 Mike, which is transportation, um, 
it was probably a week after I had actually arrived in uh, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, that I actually made my first call. So it was roughly the end of February of 07. So um, why did you wait? Just, just so we're clear, from, from that November, December until February of 2007 to, to, to call someone about? Uh, so that way there wasn't a conflict in between me and Mr. Dukes. That way nothing escalated um, out of hand. Um, and that was there. That way I could avoid confrontation because the fact that, yes, it kind of hurt me really bad, but at the same time, it was in a sense of, I don't want to say like proud that he did it, but of the sense of just kind of like, uh, you know, like nonchalantly, it made me upset. And I'm very, <laughs> I guess, protective, I guess. I'm not sure how to, how to say it, but whenever it comes to women and, you know, and kids and stuff like that. So when you got to uh, Fort, is it Fort Leonard Wood? Is that yes, right? Sir. When you got to Fort Leonard Wood, who, who did you call? Uh, I believe it was Fitzgerald Police Department. Okay. Um, <clears throat> were you able to speak with anybody at that time? Uh, just the person that was at the front desk. And I just told them, hi, my name's John McCullough. I have some information about uh, the missing school teacher. And did you provide anything other than that? I uh, provided my phone number, and they, in, in which they had said, um, we can get somebody to contact you back. Did anyone ever contact you back from the Fitzgerald Police Department? No, sir. Now, after that phone call to the Fitzgerald Police Department, uh, did you have uh, later contact with Agent uh, Jason Chevelle with the uh, Georgia Grove investigation? Uh, yes, sir. And I tried calling the GBI several times. Um, and I got to where the agent that was initially working the case was no longer on it. Then there was a second agent that was working the case that was no longer on it. And then finally, whenever I had called, because I had reached out to other, um, I guess, uh, police departments that were in the vicinity, like Osilla and then Rochelle, um, and then I had mentioned the same thing. Uh, and then I had asked, also had reached out on Facebook to, um, uh, it was a Terry Grinstead um, Facebook page, and got in contact. I, I don't remember what her name was. Uh, it was a woman, I know, uh, because she had responded and said she was a family friend. And I said, well, I'm my name's John McCullough. Um, I have information uh, about the case and stuff like that. You can call me private. Here's my email. You can do whatever. I just need to get the information out. Did, did, with regard to each of those places that you called, did, did any of them ever reach back out to you? Other than um, the GBI, no, sir. Now, when uh, you spoke, uh, I want to fast forward, if you will, to, um, <clears throat> that is to June the 14th of 2016. Um, is that about the date that you recall that you spoke with Agent Shadell? Yes, sir. Now, when you spoke with Agent Shadell, June 14th of 2016, is what you told uh, this jury today, what you told Agent Shadell? Yes, sir. back to what he told you about um, burning Tara's body. Did he tell you anything about uh, Pete Kenwood? Oh, Pecanwood, yes, sir. Pecanwood. <laughs> I'm from Texas. <laughs> Accents are a little different. <laughs> um, it just said that it burned really hot and that you'd need something really hot in order to do that kind of stuff. Yes, Mr. Fox, you may cross with him. Thank you, Your Good morning, Mr. McCullough. Good morning, sir. My name is John Fox. I represent Bo Dukes. Yes, sir. I have some questions for you. That's fine. Now, if I ask you anything which is unclear, let me know. Yes, sir. It's important you understand the question that you answer. Yes, sir. You said you met Mr. Dukes at Fort Sill when you were there for basic training. Yes, sir. All right. That basic training started, I think you said, October? November, somewhere in there? Well, I know I still have my original cat card, and it's November of 06, yes, sir. November of 06. So before you go back for Exodus, which is when, around Christmas time? Yes, sir. It's uh, roughly, um, it goes from, uh, I think it was five days. I think we left on the 20th, and we had to be back just after the beginning of the year. Okay. 
And so you had known Mr. Dukes before this month, month and a half. Uh, before Christmas Exodus, mm, I'd probably say three or four weeks. Three or four weeks, not even a full month. Probably not, no, sir. No. And how old was Mr. Dukes at the time he was? Uh, I'm not sure, sir. I, I, I never asked him his age. <laughs> okay. Uh, how old were you at the time you were basically? Uh, in 2006, I'd be 25. 25. And it is your testimony today that prior to going on Exodus, Mr. Dukes had told you two occasions, I think you said, over that three or four week period that it takes a lot of heat to burn body. Uh, well, the statement was it takes more than 1,200 degrees. Mm -hmm. In what context did those conversations come up? Uh, I don't re exactly remember of what context it was from. Um, I know we had been out to uh, do some training, like on the FOB, where we would actually go out and then camp out and stuff like that. Um, where we actually would make fires in our little tents and stuff like that and everything. So, um, <clears throat> Now, you not only talked with, don't want to skip around with, follow me for a second. You talked with the GBI June 14, 2016, correct? Yes, sir. That was with Agent Shadell. Yes, sir. You have also talked with the GBI since then. Yes, sir. All right. And that would have been January 26, 2018, correct? Yes, sir. You understood that that conversation on January 26, 2018, was being recorded? Yes, sir. All right. To your knowledge, was the conversation on June 14, 2016 recorded? Was it recorded? Uh, not that I know of, sir. I, I'm not sure. All right. Prior to today, did you have an opportunity to review either the written summaries prepared by the GBI two conversations or listen to the recorded statement that you gave in 2018? Uh, I had received um, a paper in which it, it said, uh, I guess they tried to, uh, I guess, type what I had said, uh, and I actually made the comment of, hey, there's a couple of things that, that aren't right in this, but I've never, I haven't listened to the recording um, or anything like that, no, sir. Do you recall telling Agent Shadell on June 14, 2016, that Mr. Duke said he had been contacted by Tara Grinstead's boyfriend to help him? Uh, it was under the assumption that way he had worded it, that it was either a boyfriend or a close friend or some kind of, um, I'd say, relationship interest, maybe, with a, with a possibility, yes, sir. Was that your assumption? Sir? Was that your assumption? Uh, yes, sir. I took it under the assumption that it was a boyfriend or something like that just by the, uh, I guess, the way he was speaking about it. So you don't disagree that you told Agent Shadell that Dukes had been contacted by Grinstead's boyfriend to help him? Yes, sir. You also told Agent Shadell that Dukes had relayed to you that the boyfriend had gotten upset and jealous with Grinstead, which provoked an argument leading to a physical altercation in which Grinstead was beaten or strangled. Yes, sir. Did you also tell Agent Shadell in that initial conversation that you had waited this long to follow up with the GBI because you believe Dukes may have just been intoxicated during those conversations and just talking? From, are you talking about from recently, from June 16, or, uh, June 14th of 2016? That's correct. Oh, no. I didn't wait that long, no, sir. <laughs> okay. All right. So you did not tell Agent Shadell that you had waited that long, that is, from the time the statement was made to the Exodus until you called him on the 14th of 2016, that you had waited that long to follow up just because you believe Dukes may have been intoxicated? Oh, uh, no, sir. The night he made the comment to you, yes, sir. riding around in the BMW, mm -hmm. where had you been that evening? Sir? Where had you been that evening? Um, it was a variety of different places, just little small hangouts, I guess, that were in town. 
And then I know we had stopped at uh, a friend of his house. Uh, I, I don't remember his name. I just remember he was a extremely large guy. Um, and whenever we had got there, there was a helicopter flying over that was spotlighting. And I was like, man, what's going on? And he said, don't worry about that. They're trying to get this guy for selling drugs. This is my dealer. Ah, okay. And you guys then hung out at this house? Uh, we were not there for very long, no, sir. Okay. And you said that night you had observed Mr. Dukes drinking? Yes, sir. You had observed him using cocaine? Yes, sir. And you told the GBI January 26, 2018, that when this conversation happens, you're driving the BMW, it's late at night. Yes, sir. Correct. Mm -hmm. And on that note, I almost hit a beaver that was probably about 100 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember it very, very well. Well, and that's because, as you said, you hadn't been drinking that night. No, right? sir. All right. Um, you were taking your sobriety seriously, and you were not going to... Well, it's not that I never drank or never drank the entire time we were there, but on that particular night, no, sir, because I wanted to drive. And I'm very conscious about driving and always seatbelts, always everything, because I got kids, I, you know... And I've always been like that, and I've actually had a child since I was, uh, let's see, 19 years old. And prior to entering the military, you had some DUIs in Texas? No, sir. All right. No, I've never had any alcohol problems, drug problems, anything like that, ever. Did you admit to the GBI, Jason Shadell, during your 2018 interview that you had used drugs prior? Uh, yes, sir. This night, you're driving a BMW. It's late at night. Yes, sir. Okay. Your words on the 18th when describing this situation to Jason Shadell were that Mr. Dukes was obliterated? Uh, he was pretty messed up, yes, sir. All right. And, of course, you're driving the car because you don't want somebody who's obliterated driving the vehicle. Yes, sir. Okay. You could get killed. You could get hurt. Very He's much so, yes, sir. No condition to operate a motor vehicle. Right, yes, sir. Is he? He's obliterated. He's in no condition to do anything. He had to tell me where to turn and stuff like that. He was okay enough to tell me that because, I mean, obviously this is my first time in Georgia, so sure. I don't know where anything's at. All right. <laughs> um, all right. Very good. You see the poster. You guys have the conversation. And it is your testimony to the jury today that afterwards when you got to Leonard Wood. Yes, sir. That you called... Fitzgerald. Police tell me. Yes, sir. When you got back, I mean, I saw you came to tears earlier. I know this is difficult for you. This is something that upsets you greatly. Very much. If so, true, it would be a serious crime. Somebody would have been murdered. Somebody would have been, body would have been burned. When you got back to Fort Sill, were there not military police there? There were, yes, sir. Did you not have a superior officer? Uh, I did. But you didn't go to any of them and tell what you had just heard. Say that one more time, sir. said you didn't go to anyone in the military and tell them what your fellow soldier from BASIC had allegedly told you during Exodus. No, sir. You? All right. No, sir. Now, in fact, you came back from Exodus late, correct? Yes, sir. One day late because of, uh, if I can explain of, of why that, okay, um, because... That was such, you know, a, a big thing for somebody to, to in, you know, entrust in you to tell you this. And, you know, like I said, it was a, a big deal to me and it hurt me pretty good. And I actually got back, you know, after that night and then got back to the house, asked, hey, you know, can I use the truck? And got in the truck and I actually left. And I, I stayed gone mm -hmm. because I, I didn't want to be around that. They had uh, also, had, like I had mentioned before, had um, gotten tickets for us to go to a Georgia-Virginia Tech game, in which I did not attend that either because I, I didn't want to be anywhere to the extent around it at that time because of the fact, you know, it was so bothersome to me. And I actually, you know, they had called and texted, and, you know, I kept making excuses of why I didn't want to come back. And then I finally did come back, and he was already gone, and his mom actually took me to the bus stop, in which I took a bus 
uh, back to Fort Sill in Oklahoma and actually came in at about, I would say, in between 10 and 11 o'clock at night. Now, while you were still with Bo on Exodus, yes, sir. there was a lot of heavy drinking going on. Maybe there was drinking, yes, sir. Yes, there was sir. drug use going on, correct? Sir. There was drug use going on, Yes, correct? sir. In fact, you told Agent Shadell on the 20, uh, January 26, 2018 interview that you had personal knowledge that when Mr. Dukes got back to Fort Sill, he got in trouble because of the level of drugs that he had. Yes, sir, because it was three times over the limit, and they were wondering how he was still walking around and functioning. Okay, and that's because that's what was going on during Exodus. There was drinking, there was partying, there was drug use. Yes, sir. All right. You are so disturbed by what you hear that you take someone's truck and drive off. You're a stranger in a strange land. You don't know where you are. Yes, sir. You said you had to get Bodie and try to tell you where you're going. Yes, sir. Why didn't you go to the police station? Tell somebody. You saw the posters. Because it was kind of like what I told, uh, had mentioned, of, <laughs> you know, I was unsure. Because in one hand, you know, I have this girl that I, I have no idea who it is, you know, and her family. And then in the other hand, I have this guy that, you know, is, is my battle that I'm supposed to be, you know, his back, I'm supposed to be his, you know, watch his six as the saying's going, you know, the saying goes. So it's, what am I supposed to do? And it's very conflicted to me. But at the same time, it's like, what would I want if that was my family member <coughs> or relative or something? What would I want to do? Wait, let him think nothing's going to happen, and then whenever I actually get away and get to next duty station because it wasn't that long after we got back from Christmas Exodus that I can try and reach out and do something about it. Okay. And that's when you reached out to Fitzgerald in 2016? That was actually in February, of, the end of February of 2007. 2007. All right. And numerous times in between that since the time I got in contact with Jason Shadell at GBI. And on all those numerous times that you had attempted to contact law enforcement, said you never got a call back. Never got called back, took it almost as a joke. Um, one had actually made a comment of we get tips from people all the time like this, so, you know, we'll make a note of it, is what they would tell me. Well, that was what an occasion that happened. Oh, we'll make a note of it. If anything comes from it, we'll give you a call back. Okay. This is disturbing you, something that's haunting you. Yes. You're not getting the response you want. In fact, you describe what you're hearing on the other end as him not taking it seriously, correct? Yes, sir. So why didn't you get in the car and drive somewhere? Why didn't you follow up more than just making a couple of phone calls? I just wanted to call and try and do my part, and I figured, man, I'm reaching out to all these people, and they don't want to believe me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even with my wife, you know, I've told her several times, you know, what else can I do? What can I do? And in, in the sense of that, you know, I even, you know, like contemplated what, what, what else can I do? So whenever I felt that they weren't doing their part, I actually um, was sitting on the couch one day and just popped up in my head and I thought about it. And then my wife said, oh, well, let's see if anything's changed. So she pulled it up on her phone and said, holy crap, look what's going on. And it's like, you've been telling me this exactly what this girl's been telling you or saying in this interview with this guy on 48 Hours for years. And I said, what the hell? So I reached out and I emailed uh, 48 Hours, the guy that actually did the interview. And then I had Michelle Fewer, who was a producer for CBS, actually return my call. Was this before you spoke with Agent Shadell in 2016? It was after. After. The, uh, in the sense of uh, whenever I had talked to him on June 14th, and then he had said, um, I'll get back to you if I need anything else. Mm -hmm. He uh, contacted me one, other, or one time after that, like in the short period, and had told me that he was going to um, interview Bo and, um, and stuff like that, and then he would let me know if he needed anything else from me. Uh, I had texted him several times, and he had texted me back and said, you know, um, I had told him that I was going to get a DNA sample from him and, 
you know, other things, and, and I'll just let you know how it turns out, and if we need anything else, I'll get back. Okay. And the um, TV special that you saw, that was the one where Brooke Sheridan was on TV. Uh, yes, sir. All right. Since your initial conversation with Agent Shadell in 2016, have you been keeping up with this case? No, sir. Okay. So even after seeing this on 48 Hours, you haven't looked online, tried to update anything? No, sir. All right. You never told Agent Shadell that you, during your 2018 interview, that you had looked it up and seen that Ryan Duke had been arrested? I believe that was also in tell of whenever every, all that was going on with the 48 Hours and all that other stuff. Okay. So you had gained, since your conversation with Agent Shadell in 2016, you had gained knowledge about the case based on what you saw and heard on television. To an extent, I would say, but if you check back from many years ago, whenever they actually recorded my statement or anything, nothing's changed, and nor will it change. Okay. Because so, I know what I heard, I remember it, I live it every day, and it sucks. All right. And your testimony is that there were no differences in the statement you gave Shadell in 2016 and the one you gave in 2018? No, sir. You had testified you had sent some Facebook messages. Yes, sir. Okay, do you have a copy of those with you today? Uh, no, sir, and I do not have Facebook at all anymore. <coughs> so outside of perhaps who you sent to having that, you have no record that that message was sent? No, sir. Just the fact, the only thing I had, like I said, is just that I offered my name and phone number and email and the wish for somebody to call me private or do whatever they needed to, and then they had further to tell me, well, why don't you just tell me on here? And I told them I wasn't comfortable with it. If they would please call me or have somebody call me, that way I could get out the information. And after you left Fort Sill 2016, you Fort and Bo Dukes, in 2006. I'm sorry, 2006. Well, it's 2007 whenever I left Fort Sill. Okay. That's when you uh, took yes, off to Leonard Wood. Yes, sir. All right. You and Bo Dukes have not talked once since then. No, sir. First time you've seen him since then? Yes, sir. All right. Thanks, sir. Mr. Rigby, in a redirect. Uh, I do have a redirect, yes. Members of the jury, we're going to take a recess. If you'll just make yourselves comfortable in the jury room, and we'll resume as quickly as we can. Thank you.